Again, praise God for his faithfulness. For being in the, your midst once again. Even as we look back over this past week, there's many, many signs of God's grace. Uh, the fact that uh, we're living and breathing this morning is a demonstration of his grace to keep us and to wake us. Praise God for his grace and for his mercy. Amen. Well, praise God for his Baptist church. It is indeed a privilege and honor to always be with you on this Lord's Day. I don't know about you. There's some Sundays I, 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 I'm just going to keep it 100. There's some Sundays I come in dragging, struggling because it's been a long week. But when you get with the saints and, and you're able to sing praises and glory to God and you're able to pause and take the focus off yourself because that's what's happened. We go through the week and we, we think about ourselves and we think about what I got to do, where, what, uh, what, I, uh, what I've already done. And sometimes we just need to get together to be reminded about the faithfulness of God. So I don't take it for granted. I'm able to stand and you shouldn't take it for granted that you're able to sit with the people of God as we look to our God. Amen. So indeed, it is a privilege and honor to be with you once again on this Lord's Day. I want to remind you that as we are in the midst of celebrating our sesquicentennial anniversary, next week we'll, we will be observing our anniversary banquet. Uh, more information is in your bulletins, but I want to make sure that you know that tickets are uh, for purchase in the foyer as we prepare to leave. Um, but it's another opportunity for us to get together, to dine, and to reflect upon what, what God is doing, what he has done, how he has cared for this church. Speaking of care, we want to be prayerful in our hearts even this morning for those in Houston, who are in the midst of trying to have some normalcy brought back into their lives after Hurricane Harvey. And even this morning, we are praying for those in Florida, for your family, friends, and loved ones. Uh, again, <laughs> beloved, we can't take for granted that we can even wake up and have a house. Uh, so we want to be grateful for all that we do have. We want to be prayerful for uh, the entire uh, Newburgh community as uh, there has been uh, much loss of life uh, within the last couple of weeks of uh, some senior saints. Um, we pray for their families, I'm praying for you, for the body. Uh, much is going on. And we hold to God's hand, his unchanging hand. We don't try to muster up enough strength in our own to just get by, but we depend on Christ even during these days. If you will, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, uh, beginning with the 12th verse. As we continue our end of the summer series, this is the will of God. And we have been looking at God's revealed will, God's preceptive will. There are many times in life where we try to figure out, God, what did you want for me? 
Uh, what decisions should I make? Uh, where should I go? Uh, and, and sometimes it's difficult to understand what job you should take, where you should live, who you should marry. But there are so many aspects and dimensions of the Christian life that God has already just told us what to do. Uh, and I believe that if we just do what God has already told us what to do in his word, some of those other things are just figuring themselves out. So as we look at scripture, we are looking at various texts that God has just plainly said, this is what I want you to do. This text is the same here in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 12th verse, as Paul is leaving instructions for this church in Thessalonica. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word as we look at 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. As we always do here, we recognize that this is not just a book. This is God's holy word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. You may be seated. Just like to place a tag on the text before us this morning that uh, this is the will of God that Christians would behave as Christians. That Christians would behave as Christians. Let us go before our Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious and eternal Father, we do come before you acknowledging that you are all-powerful, all-sufficient, creator and sustainer of all things, dear God. Nothing takes place which catches you off guard or by surprise. And Father, this morning I ask that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause us to set our eyes and our focus and affections upon Christ Jesus. May we look to the fullness of Christ as our hope, as our strength. And Father, may you indwell us by your Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see and ears to, see, ears to hear, hearts to receive your word. But Father, most of all, this morning, I ask that you would just make us faithful. Father, we don't want to be perfect. We just want to be faithful. Father, we don't want to have to know it all. We just want to be faithful. Father, we don't want to have to struggle when we fall and fail. We just want to be faithful. And Father, we can be faithful towards you because you are faithful towards us. And Father, as we consider your word this morning, I ask that you would convict us of our own sin, not others. Show us where we fall short that we may press into Christ Jesus and be healed through his blood. 
Father, I ask that you would redeem and restore someone this morning, Lord, for the cares of this world has them downtrodden and in despair. Father, I ask that you would speak to us and help us to marvel at the fact that your grace is sufficient no matter where we are that you have promised not to leave us nor forsake us and that you love us more than we could ever love ourselves. Father, I ask that as I divide your word that I would be faithful to your word for your people and for your glory. So Father, we ask that you would have your way in this worship service. May you glorify yourself by glorifying Christ. Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, growing up, our parents or those responsible for us would often tell us a lot of things about life. Think about your upbringing. Think about your life lessons. That everything that your parents told you what to do and how to do are the various sayings and catchphrases that they did. Many of those sayings impact us in our lives even today. Uh, as I reflect upon a lot of what my parents told me, I see how God has used them to influence my life. But uh, in your life and my life, uh, there are some things that are similar. And think about it, the time in your life where your parents have that conversation with you. And this is that conversation is when you leave this house, you are a reflection of this family. I don't know what they are doing out there, but when you leave this house, you represent this family. And don't you forget, ever forget who you're representing. Parents everywhere have this conversation. We have this conversation. And it is a conversation that, to help you to remember just who you belong to. And that when people look at you, you're not just a reflection of yourself. You're a reflection of your upbringing. You're a reflection of your family. Jesus says the same thing, uh, something similar to his disciples in John, the 13th chapter, as he is having his last Passover meal with the disciples. In John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another. So your, your, your love for one another will do something great. See, what Jesus is, is generally saying is, you represent me now. And what you do out there will be a reflection on what's going on in here. How you love one another will be a reflection of this family. So you can't just do whatever you want to do. Because if you belong to me, you're a reflection of me and this family. And he indicates that the discernible marker for followers of Christ, it wouldn't be how we treat folks out there or how we relate to the people in the world. He is saying that the, the way that people will know we belong to him is how we treat one another. This indication of their love 
for Jesus will be reflected in their love for fellow Christians. See, in a world of sin and selfishness and bitterness and backstabbing, Christian love reflects the beauty of Jesus. This is why Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. We are to represent Jesus by doing good works, by loving one another, not just because it's the right thing to do, because it's the glorious thing to do, because it points back to Christ. The glory of God shines through his people. See, Christian love is light in a dark world. Christian love is that ray of, of, of sunlight that peeks through dark clouds. I don't know about you, beloved, but we need to see these rays of light peeking through the dark clouds of life each and every day. The love that we have for one another. What Jesus is really getting at is, What's really going to set us apart is not the things that we don't do, but the things that we do do. What do I mean? A lot of times we want to be identified as Christians by what we don't do. I'm a Christian because I I don't smoke or I don't drink or I I don't cuss and I don't go there. And and we have all these lists of rules that we try to define ourselves as what it means to be a Christian is what you don't do. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is what you do do and, and, and how you relate to the Father. One of those aspects is Christian love. But unfortunately, we don't have to go too far to figure out that at times it's hard being a light for Christians. It's hard to love one another. Once you show up and you see that there's people here, you figure out it's going to be hard to love people. Why? Because people are broken. People are complicated. People are sinful. And broken people have baggage. And sinful people have issues. I have issues and you have issues and you bring all of our issues together and we have a whole lot more issues. And then on top of those issues, we have a subjective way of how we want to treat those issues. We we want to treat our issues and everybody else's issues in light of our own perspective and experiences. What do I mean? I mean that we want to fix people according to how we think we should fix ourselves. When we look at someone else, we're like, oh, why don't they just? Or you need to just not take into consideration the complexity of life. So it's easy For Christian love to be lost within the body. And just to be honest, sometimes we just don't get along. And just like children, we have to be taught how to play well with others. Have you ever been on the playground and seen children's playing and you see some kids playing and have a good time and then you always have that one kid who just comes in, demolishes everything and bullies everything and takes all the toys and, and you say, no one has taught that child how to play well with others. It may have been you, but when on a, on a playground, that type of behavior needs to be stopped. But the reason we do it is because we're born sinners. And unless we're taught how to play well, we will never play well. Church, can I say the same goes for us? If we aren't taught how to love one another, we won't love one another. 
If we're not taught how to be kind and gracious and, and empathetic, we won't uh, uh, give the next person the benefit of the doubt. We have to come into the body and learn how to play well with others. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here for this church in Thessalonica. He's helping them understand how to play well with others in the church. Paul's instructions to this church, it it gets rid of all of our our baggage and subjectivity and, and preconceived notions of what church should be and how we should act by replacing what we should do with what we need to do according to God's word. Ultimately, God wants his children to live faithfully because he is faithful. Because God's people are the church, we are to live as the church. So in these closing words from Paul, we have clear instructions on how God wants us to act toward one another in the church. In short, Paul instructs us as Christians how to act as Christians. I believe we can look at this text and pull out four ways to behave as the church. From these verses, the first way that we need to behave as the church is to behave as the church. Christians are to faithfully love their pastors. I didn't make it up. It's right there in the text. To act like Christians, Paul has instructions for pastors and the people. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. It's something about this, this, this leader body relationship that Paul is trying to convey to us. And though Paul doesn't specifically say pastors, the roles and responsibilities found in this text is that of a pastor. When you look at this, this is similar language to Hebrews, the 13th chapter and the 17th verse. Where the author says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do with let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Now, I feel it already. There's a tension. As soon as we talk about authority, we don't want to give ourselves to authority. But what is he saying? He's saying that in this relationship that God is glorified and in our relationship that his glory will be demonstrated to the onlooking world and love will be given towards one another. Why? Because in this relationship, it says that pastors are to be faithful toward the church. He says, respect those who do what? Labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, And admonish you. So the pastor has a responsibility to to labor, to lead, and to instruct the body of Christ. And and the word that's used here for labor is not some easy easy job, but it, it, it is a toil. It is hard work. A pastor is to get his grind on when it comes to leading the church. Through their labor. They lead and instruct. This word labor is engage in hard work, difficulties, toil, admonish 
means to instruct, to warn. So the pastor is to come alongside working hard for the church on behalf of Christ because he says, he, and we are uh, as leaders over the body in the Lord. That's the key right there, in the Lord. Paul is saying that pastors and leaders, they have authority, but it is a limited authority. It is not that pastors are God. They don't have carte blanche to do whatever they feel. It is a limited authority because it is a delegated authority. This authority comes from Jesus Christ himself and within the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit calls out those to lead the church. And definitely we see that there have been so many abuses of this authority. And oftentimes when we hear texts like this, the first thing we do is think back to a time where someone has abused their authority. But beloved, I say, don't let that church hurt stick with you because someone abused their authority. I can testify as I look at the text, anyone who abuses their authority and the Lord is going to have to give an account to him anyway. So you ain't got to worry about you making sure you get revenge. You go before your daddy in heaven and say they acting a fool, God. I need you to do something about it. So now you don't make the church about one man, about one person. And now you can submit your church hurt to Jesus because he is the chief shepherd and he is always just and he is always good. And he's going to make all right decisions. He is saying that this love is to take place between pastors, but then also the people. Because he says the church is to be faithful toward their pastors. How so? Through respect and loving esteem. This word respect means to show honor. To to honor the position, basically to appreciate. Esteem is to, to have a, a, a high view, a, to hold a view, to consider. This is a loving consideration. And what this text implies, if we're going to demonstrate our love to the greater world, then each Christian has to have a pastor over them. That's the text. It, I don't get to just be a lone wolf Christian, kind of bouncing to and fro, going wherever I want, but I need to submit to, to, to one who has authority over my life. I need to take up the posture of a, as a learner and a listener. You ever fool with somebody, you can't tell nothing, you trying to say, you say it's, it's the, the sky is blue. They just want to argue and say, no, nah, it's green. No, nah, you should go right. No, nah, I feel like going left. Uh, we don't have that posture as the church. We're just being argumentative. We want to take the posture of a learner and listener. Why? Because this demonstrates the love that God has in his church. There's been abuses here. Where there have been individuals or a collection of individuals who have been out to get the pastor because he's made a decision that they don't agree with or because he said no. 
and where pastors have been run out of churches at times. Those are definitely abuses. And I, I, I tell pastors all the time, I love my church. I love the people there. And God is, 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 is bringing sweet unity. But I, and I also have to be mindful to, to, to encourage pastors just because you had some church hurt yourself don't mean the flock that God is giving you right now is going to hurt you too. Don't, ca- don't, don't qualify your call because of what's taking place at a different church. If God has called you, he's going to give you a flock to shepherd who will love you. In this text, though, I do believe that Paul is speaking of pastors. I, I don't believe that this respect and loving esteem is limited to pastors. This is, this is a, a, a broad look at those in leadership as well. So, so not only should the congregation have a respect and a loving esteem for pastors, they should have a respect and loving esteem for the deacons, the trustees, for your Sunday school teacher. For those who labor and work hard here at Forest Baptist Church. See this, see the beauty. This combination of labor and, and, and love, it produces what he says, peace. Be at peace with one another. When we're able to, to do what God has called us to do, when, when the pastor's doing what he's supposed to do, and the congregation and the people are doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, Paul says hey, uh, there's a peace that comes up about it because there's nothing more contentious than a pastor who don't love his people and a people who don't love their pastor. You talking about bitterness, frustration, anger, conflict. And what takes place, the demonstration of love is not demonstrated. Christians have to act like Christians. But what Paul wants us to see is that this relationship between the leadership and the body says something, not about us, but about Jesus. How we respond towards one another is a reflection of Jesus. See, but so here's the rub. The problem is Authority. We don't like authority. We don't like anyone telling us what we should do. We don't like anyone telling us where we should go or how, sh- how we should love one another, how we should allow people to get into our lives. We don't like authority. We want people to preach the word, but we don't want people to pry into our lives. But beloved, Ephesians 4 says pastors are given by God. So when we're encouraging community, when we are encouraging transparency, it's not because we want to know your business. We want you to be delivered because it says that if you confess your sins one to another, God will do an amazing work here. Ephesians 5.21 reminds me of this concept of submitting to one another where it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't submit to one another just because I said so, just because you said so. We submit to one another out of, out of respect and love for Jesus. Do you love your leaders? It's not a trick question. Or do we have to say, do you love anyone else besides yourself? 
See, when we have, when Christians behave as Christians, faithfully loving their leaders, the glory of God is demonstrated through our peace. So faithfully love your pastors and leaders. Secondly, uh, ways that we are to behave as Christians, to behave as the church, Christians are to faithfully serve one another. Verses 14 and 15, these deal with this interpersonal relationship uh, going on within the community of believers. And what Paul is saying is to act like a Christian is to live with courage and compassion. Look at verse 14. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to every one. Paul encourages us to courage and the fact that we're going to have to be busy getting into other people's lives and saying things that aren't nice all the time. So what does he say at first? He said, admonish the idol. This is the, uh, the loafers. Those who are just kind of around, not using their spiritual gifts, just kind of showing up, not engaged in the community, not accountable to anybody. Lord willing, I'm not talking about you, but the, the text says to admonish, to, to warn them. So if, if, if we're the body of Christ, we have to have courage to say, now, I, I see you on Sundays, and, 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 but I don't, I, don't, I don't have the opportunity or the privilege to see you any other day. I don't have the opportunity or privilege to have you in my life. Admonish the idol means that we all should be doing something within the body of Christ. You have a gift, you have a specific spiritual gift that I don't have, that we don't have, that if you are not exercising your spiritual gift by being involved in the body, you're holding out on us. So it says admonish the idol, but not only that, we are to call out, we are to encourage the faint-hearted. He's not talking about someone who is just wimpy. He, he's talking about someone who, is, who may be discouraged. He's talking about someone who, is, who may be timid. So what he's saying is, come alongside people who are discouraged. You, you, you don't speak a harsh word to somebody who's already beat down, do you? You don't say, well, well why ain't you? How could you? But you encourage and you lift up and you build up. Encourage the faint-hearted. If, if you see someone who has a, spe- a specific gifting, you are to come alongside. You know, I think you may be good here. I think God has gifted you in this way. What would it look like before we left today, you walked up to somebody that you've been watching and say, you know, I see God doing this in your life. What kind of encouragement would that be? Not only do we encourage the weak, he says, encourage the faint heart, he says, help the weak. Not so much physical, but more so spiritual. Those who, who are weak in their faith, new in their faith, immature in their faith, He says, come alongside and do something to help them grow up to look more like Jesus. Beloved, we have to have courage to act to get into one another's lives. But not only do we need courage, we need compassion. That's the second half. He says, be patient with them all. I don't know about you, but I'm an impatient person. 
I am very impatient. I like things done like boom, boom, boom. We going here, we going there. And I, I like to uh, cross my T's and dot my I's. I, I like to have everything in order. And if everything is not in order, if everything ain't doing something, I get frustrated. But guess what, beloved? Frustration is sin. I'm not depending on God. When we run into each other's lives, he's saying, be patient with one another. I don't know what kind of Saturday you had. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know all the complexities, but if we're just patient with one another, I may be able to ask you, how can I pray for you? Or if someone's not growing how we think they should be growing or doing what they should be doing, instead of uh, attacking that person, be patient with them all. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the people who don't do nothing, the people who are discouraged, and the people who are weak. Spiritually, be patient with them all. That patience is a demonstration of love. And it's reciprocal of the patience that Jesus has had with us. I don't know about you, but there's been many times where I know God wants me to go right and I've gone left. But yet he keeps pursuing. And God is patient with me, then he's patient with other people. And I need to have patience in the Lord as well. And this compassion bleeds over into how I act in life because he says no one repays evil for evil. Seek to do good. What is he saying? Don't do tit for tat. Well, they said this about me. I'm going to say this about them. Well, they ain't speak to me, so I ain't going to speak to them. They ain't wave at me, so I ain't got wave at them. They ain't asked me for help, so I ain't going to ask them for help. He said don't be tit for tat. He said, but respond in a way that demonstrates your love in spite of themselves and yourself. Don't repay evil for evil. See, the way we treat one another is a a reflection of what we actually think about God. What type of relationships do you have here? How are we getting into into one another's life? Do Do you know anyone who's idle? Do you know anyone who is faint hearted, discouraged? Do you know? Someone who's weak. We can't know unless we begin to get into one another's lives, encourage one another. See, the, the, the reality, and this is my issue, too. We, we need to get over ourselves in order to serve someone other than ourselves. Again, I, we come to situations from our perspective, from our experience. But a loving community it's full of empathy. We're trying to figure out where that person comes from. What? Try to walk in their shoes and understand their life. But we engage. And when Christians behave as Christians, faithfully serving one another, the glory of God is demonstrated through our courage and our compassion. Faithfully serve one another. Thirdly, To behave as the church, Christians are to faithfully worship God. In verses 16 through 22, we see the context for this passage is within the local church. So Paul is not just writing to people's houses. This comes to the church. So they are in worship and they're reading this letter. So he's encouraging the body during their worship service. And what does he say needs to take place? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul leads out. He says, rejoice always. That simply means be glad. Be joyful. When you come into church, it should be a t- You should have a smile on your face. You should eat. You may not want to talk to, to nobody, but you should at least act like you want to talk to somebody. He says, rejoice always. Why, why are we rejoicing? We are rejoicing because we have a savior who has already conquered death. He has already risen. He is sitting on high. He is matchless and mighty. He controls the wind and the waves. He has every detail, every circumstance, and every issue in the palm of his hand. If you can be glad about that, I don't know what you can be glad about. We should be joyful because we're joy-filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where the psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So when we come in the doors, we, we are a rejoicing people. And then he also says, he says, pray without ceasing. This is not, you, you have your eyes closed and you're just praying all day. It, he's not talking about that. While you're driving, keep your eyes open and drive down the street. But he's talking about a, a hard posture where you're always in communion with God. Life can get so busy. Life can get so tough that we we go hours and days and and weeks without pausing and talking to God. He is saying, if you are going to be the body of Christ, you need to slow down sometime and give honor to where honor is due. You need to have a non-ceasing prayer life. You may be at work and you don't get down on your knees, but... You, you, you know they're acting a fool today, and you ain't got time to get down, but you walk into that meeting, and you just say, Lord, help me. You see him walking down the hallway. Lord, guard my tongue right now in the name of Jesus. Guard, Lord, guard my mind. Lord, guard my hands. Guard my feet right now because I'm about to act the fool up in here. Lord, help me to hold out. You ain't got to be all loud about it, but just, Lord. Lord, when the one, the one, the child, the one word, the one word prayers, you ain't, ain't got to be long. Just, Lord, Jesus, mercy, grace, hallelujah. Just the one word prayers, but you have that union and communion with the Father. Pray without ceasing. Your heart is your heart posture. You're always dependent upon God. You ain't trying to figure out your own strength. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks when things are good. Don't give thanks when when things are just going your way. Give thanks when that pink slip comes. Give thanks when the diagnosis comes. Give thanks in the hospital. Give thanks outside the hospital. He says, 
Give thanks in all circumstances because we know that God is working through every circumstance. And for those who love him and are called for his purpose, we know that through these circumstances, we don't know how. Lord, I don't know how. I don't know how you use this situation to demonstrate your love, but you said you would. And I, I, I'm just crazy enough to believe the, the alpha and the omega, the creator and sustainer of all things. I can only see what's in front of me. You see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. I don't know how this is going to play out, God, but I'm going to give you thanks anyway. This is a heart that is grateful and appreciative. When we look out over the world, I heard John Piper kind of use this phrase. We live in the Disney world of life. If we actually consider these other countries, And what they have and their material wealth, we think about islands completely demolished. Think about what we have. Do we not have something to be grateful for? Even if we don't agree with with everything that's going on, and we shouldn't agree with everything going on here in America, we can be grateful. We can be appreciative. That we can gather on Sunday mornings, not worry about somebody running up here and blowing our brains out because we love Jesus. But then he goes and he's talking about this collective worship experience. And then he says, do not quench the spirit. What is he talking about? He's talking about those times when you are in corporate worship and the spirit is speaking to you. He's moving you and he's guiding you. And you say, no, I'm no, I'm 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 okay. I'm not no, I'm not gonna lift my hands. No, I'm I'm not gonna. Oh, I'm not singing today. I can't sing. No, and you begin to tell God what you ain't gonna do. Don't come up in His house with His people saying what you ain't gonna do. What if somebody came up in your house eating your food, laying in your bed, gonna tell you? What you ain't going to do. It don't work like that. But as we come together, we have so much to be grateful for. And as the spirit begins to bring conviction of sin, listen to him. Don't say I'm straight. That's them. Oh, I wish such and such was here to hear this message. No, but God had you here to hear this message. So he's speaking to you, too. Let the Holy Spirit convict you of sin and let him point you to Jesus. When the the doubt and the despair and the shame and guilt come upon you because of our sinfulness, don't let Satan keep you there, but let the Holy Spirit point you back to the gospel, back to Jesus, that you will see a sovereign Savior who forgives and delivers that we may go sin no more. Because one of the quickest ways to quench the spirit is to say, not me, not me. As we end in corporate corporate worship, he says, do not quench the spirit, but do not despise prophecies. He's basically talking about the preach word. When you hear the word preach, don't be like, ah, ah, how long is it going to be? I don't want to be here. I was tired. I don't like what he's talking about. They talking about sex. 
What? I don't want to be here. Don't despise the word of God as it's, as it's preached. He says, but, but take what is good. There's always something. When anyone, if anyone, beloved, is preaching and teaching the word of God, it don't matter if you think it's dry. It don't matter if you think it's all that. But God always has something for his people. You just need to go get the nugget. God has something for you. So, so he says, take what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You, 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 you leave there what doesn't apply, but God always has a word for his people. Why does Paul say all that? Paul says all that because he cares how you act on Sunday. God cares how you act when you show up. God cares how we act with one another. God cares if we're standoffish. God cares if we're prideful. God cares if we're angry. God cares if we have an attitude. God cares if we're frustrated. God cares about how we live and love one another in worship. To faithfully live for God is to wholly give yourself in worship to God. Why? Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When we begin to come in with glad hearts, when we begin to come in with uh, rejoicing on our tongues, when we begin to come in with, with prayerful hearts, when we give thanks in all circumstances, when we love to hear the word, and when the word begins to work on us, when we don't despise prophecies, when we get together and all this begins to take, it, take place, uh, the text says it begins to stir us up to love and good works. It, it causes us to get excited. It causes us to get hyped for Jesus. And y'all, now, y'all know what I'm talking about. Because some of y'all got season tickets to U of L or whoever or, or, or when your team comes on. And, and, and if you're in that stadium, you're sitting in the stadium and the good play takes place, what do y'all do? You, you don't know them from Adam, but you will stand up, walk across the whole stadium, You, you don't know what, what they said about your mama. You don't know. Hey, you, as soon as you got in there, y'all all on one accord and y'all are stirred up to good works. Beloved, if, if they can get hype at a U of L game, if they can get hype at a Kentucky game for works that are only temporary, what can we get hype for? Can we get hype because we have a savior who lives and reigns? Can we be hyped that you ain't who you used to be? Can we be hyped because that foolishness and foul mouth is finally gone? Can we get hyped? Because when I get hyped, guess who gets hyped? You get hyped. When you get hyped, they get hyped. And then one of, one of these days, I want to see the waves start over here, Deacon Carter. I want you to just lift them up. And we're going to go all the way around this boy because we're going to stir up one another to, to love and good works. If I can get excited about a cardinal, surely I can be excited about the cross of Jesus Christ. Surely I can be excited about the Savior who, who, who was nailed on Calvary's cross and died for me. Lamar Jackson ain't shed no blood for me. Lamar Jackson, he may be the Heisman, but Jesus is my hero. I'm telling you, he's the one who stood up. Because the text says, if I be lifted up, not if y'all be lifted up, if I be lifted up. But if we just walk in, 
business as usual. Ain't nobody stirring up nothing. And then we're going to leave. Like, how was church? It was all right. See, this is the issue. If we fail to worship while we're gathered, we're going to fail to worship while we're scattered. If you can't worship on Sunday, what other day are you going to worship? When Christians behave as Christians, faithfully worshiping God, the glory of God is demonstrate, demonstrated through our stirred affections. Faithfully worship God. Lastly, lastly, we're done. To behave as a church, God is faithful towards his children. You see that? To behave at church, it's not what I do. It's who's faithful to me. What is he talking about? Paul, he closes this section by pointing us away from ourselves. See, we, we, we don't act right because we can't act right. We're going to always have an attitude. We're always going to have a, a way about ourselves that's kind of crooked. But what does he do? Paul, he closes by pointing us to our only hope for obedience. He points us to God himself. Verse 23. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, may the God of peace himself. May the, the very one who, who is the God of Shalom. He's, he's pointing back to this Old Testament notion of wholeness and, and rightness. He's, he's talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about the God who has been uh, ruling and reigning from eternity past. He says the God of peace, the God who has ushered in salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life and took it back up on the third day. He's talking about the one who caused the, the wicked and the dead. And while you were yet dead in your trespasses and sin, while we were dead on the bottom of, of sin's floor, he, he woke us up. He is saying if, if anybody can sanctify you, if anybody can change you, if anybody can, uh, can ask hope for you, it's the, the very God of peace himself, not somebody else. He's not pointing to Michael, the archangel. He's not pointing to the prophets. He's not pointing to Abraham. He's not pointing to David. He's not point, pointing to Paul. He's not pointing to Peter or John. He says the person who's going to sanctify you is, is not these prophets, not these men, it's God himself. Surely, if God himself is working to sanctify you, if anybody can make you act right, surely the God of peace can make you act right. And that, that just sounds good. You acting a fool. You need some peace in your life. If you, you all busy and you all dumbfounded and a bunch of mess, you need some peace in your life. And you need the God of peace himself. Don't look to that boyfriend, that girlfriend. Don't be trying to turn up that bottle, smoke that blunt. If you need peace, you turn to the God of peace himself. Amen. 
Then he says, sanctify you completely. You know, even that pinky toe. All of it. The, the good looking parts and the bad looking parts. Sanctify you completely. Ha. He's not going to leave any piece out. He's not going to leave you behind anyway. But how does he do this? He does it by his word and by his presence. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. When we set our eyes upon the scriptures, when we begin to memorize and meditate upon the word of God, we don't even notice it, but some sanctification uh, begins to take place. It's, it's like when I, when, I, when I go to the barbershop sometimes and, and I, I'm about to get my hair cut and I look over to the guy next to me. He has his clippers, but then he, he, he puts these clippers up under this light. And this is this certain color light. And, and what, what it is, it, 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 it takes away the bacteria and it, 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 it purifies the, the clippers for the next person. And he just sits it there and, and the light just shines on it. I'm like, like, how does that light really work? But it, it, it treats the bacteria in a certain way. It doesn't give it what it needs to live. And what God wants to do is like we, he just sits up under the light of the word of God. And, and we don't know it's taking place. We can't. We can't really feel it, but God is sanctifying us whenever we put our face in the word of God. So it is so important for us to have our time of devotion and, and quiet time and Bible reading. If you ain't reading the word of God, you aren't being sanctified. If you don't, if you don't, ain't not looking at the text, then ain't nothing taking place. You, you have to get your face in God's word. You can't grow in holiness without God's word. Why? Because the word of God is the truth. We, we deal with lies every day. Lies on the job, lies on the radio, lies on TV. It's always telling us who we are and what we should do. We have to defeat and conquer those lies with the truth of scripture. So God puts his word in you to sanctify you. But then he does it with his presence too. This don't want to dig too deep, but in Exodus 31, the, verse 13 God is speaking to his people and he says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctified you. What is God talking about? He is saying that the Sabbath day was a day of rest. And on this Sabbath day, you, 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 you sat down somewhere out of trust and dependence upon God. You were resting in the work that God uh, does for you. He is able to provide for you. So what he's saying that as you are even resting on the Sabbath, that God is doing a work through your dependence upon him because by faith you sit down, he is able to, to work in your life. This Sabbath rest, when we think about it, think about your favorite couch, you know, that favorite spot you got. You know where y'all going after y'all eat today's meal. You about to sit down and get in that couch, that comfortable spot. And what do you do? You rest. You just lay down. You know that the chair can support you. You sat in there before. You know that the chair can hold you up. You, you, you know the chair got your mark in it. You fit, you fit right, right there. 
Beloved, that's what God is talking about, his rest in Jesus. Jesus can support you. Jesus knows what you need. Jesus knows your body contour. He, he knows what you struggle with. He, he knows how to lift you up. He knows when you're downtrodden. He, he knows when you need to be encouraged. He's saying, stop trying to figure this thing out all yourself. Stop trying to make sense of everything and start trusting Jesus sometimes. Because when we rest in the finished work of Jesus, God sanctifies us. When we depend on Jesus and not ourselves, we are being sanctified. I'm resting in Jesus when I'm faithful to my pastors. I'm resting in Jesus when I'm faithful to my brothers and sisters in the body. I'm resting in Jesus when I'm faithful to God in my worship. But think about it. He sanctifies us by his word and by his presence. When we look at scripture, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. And the word came and dwelt among us. So when he's saying he sanctifies us by his word, he's sanctifying us through Jesus. And when he sanctifies us with his presence, and when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he, he's talking about the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. If you are a believer in Christ, the indwelling of the spirit is with you. So you have his word and his presence and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This triune God is working. But then lastly, verse 24, he says. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So you missed your shouting mark right there. You missed your shout. I'll read it again. He says. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You see, this, see, this is where you can say, won't he do it, right? See, like, it actually matched the text, like, won't he do it? Won't he do it? See, because he says, he will surely do it. I don't have to do this. He is doing this in me, for me, by his power, not because uh, some joy or joke of mine, but because he is faithful. He will surely do it. Though we fail to live up to God's standards for Christian living, he promised that he would, he would finish what he started. He who God calls, he keeps. If God has called you, he's going to keep you. Philippians 1 and 6, it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So when we think about loving one another, you just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. And then you turn to your neighbor and say, you are a work in progress too. God is going to do this. So God is doing this sanctifying. But guess what? His people merely cooperate with the process. We got to cooperate. What does that mean? We, we cooperate by pursuing Jesus both publicly and privately. That means I just don't show up to church on Sunday to cooperate in my sanctification. That during the week I need to 
be in the word of God and, and, and hear from God. And I need to be speaking back to him through prayer. I can't, I can't just show up on Sunday to make it seem like I got everything together. Because there's six other days of the week where uh, I'm not in your presence and you're not in my presence. And you might want to fake from me one day of the week. But what you going to do all those six days of the week? Pursue Jesus publicly and privately. But we need to cooperate by pursuing Jesus through his word and through prayer. We've been doing that memorization challenge. Anybody, anybody memorize the scripture? Anybody? I, I, I tell you one right here. Uh, this is an excellent one to memorize. First Thessalonians 5:16. Two words: rejoice always. Oh, that would change your life. You walking down the hall and you want you want to complain about the weather. You want to complain about how tired you are? You want to complain about your boss? You want to complain about you ain't getting paid right? Your pockets ain't right? You want to complain? Just 516, rejoice always. We cooperate by pursuing Jesus through his people. That's community. That means if if I'm part of this covenant family, somebody else here needs to know your name. Someone needs to be in your life. That's how we cooperate in our sanctification. We have to open up. God just wants us to be faithful because he is faithful. The work has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived a life that we could not live. And because Jesus has died the death that we deserve, and because Jesus rose on the third day, we can have redemption, reconciliation with God the Father in heaven. We can be fully restored because of what Jesus has already accomplished. All we're doing is cooperating with this finished work of Christ. God is doing everything. We just cooperate with him in our sanctification. So God wants his children to live faithful because he is faithful. To behave as the church, Christians are to faithfully love their pastors. Christians are to faithfully serve one another. And Christians are to faithfully worship God. This is the will of God. That Christians would behave as Christians. Let us pray. Lord God, you are faithful.